right, we're continuing on in uh, Ephesians. We covered the first two verses last Sunday, and this Sunday we're going to cover verses 3 through 6, but I want to do a little bit of a review. We have a smaller group here, so we'll probably be a little bit interactive. And Carly, will you do me a favor? I somehow lost my Apple Pencil. Will you go see if it's in the office in my bag over there? I can get by without it, but I don't want to. Um, so I kind of had mentioned how intense this book of Ephesians is, and I told you I had a few commentaries. These books are just on, this whole, each one of these is just about the book of Ephesians. So you take something like this that's dictionary sized, and it's going through and talking about all the details in Ephesians, and this is not even exhaustive. Even this does not do the book of Ephesians justice. So as we get into this book, just realize we're taking a high-altitude flyover. We're not going to be able to cover every little nuance of every little verse. And I was thinking, man, I hope I can do it justice. And I was like, that's just a bunch of nonsense. There's no way I can do this book justice. Uh, that's just a stupid thought. So I do pray that God would use this in our church and in our lives, and I believe he can do that. But I can't do this book justice. So we're going to go ahead and just kind of start chipping away through the book, and uh, we're going to do a little review first. Again, if you remember, Paul is writing to let them know and tell them who he's made them, uh, what he's done for them, and now how you're supposed to walk in light of that. We used the word worthy last week because that's what the scripture says here. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Does anyone remember anything about that word worthy? Yes, yes. So it has the idea of being equal to or in line with. So what God has done for us or who he's made us, we should be walking in line with that. So if God has made us holy, we should be walking holy. If he's made us new, we should be walking new, in line with who he's called us to be or who he's made us. So that's kind of the idea in this book. The first half of the book is him telling us what he's done for us. The second half is now walk in that. So that's kind of the, the idea. It, we're going to cover these main sections in the book. And I encouraged you uh, to just remember this for right now. We're going to go over this stuff through the weeks. But this is what we're going to be covering for probably the next couple months. Just that it's telling us who God has made us, what he's done for us. And then the second half of the book, we're going to start talking about how we can live together in love, walk in holiness, and then stand firm against the powers of darkness. So that's kind of a, a skeleton view of the book. If you remember, I gave a three-word outline for the book, a three-word outline. Does anybody remember the three-word outline? Tina? Okay. Let's give this guy. Good. Walk. Can I draw a guy walking? The answer is no. Looks like he's on the toilet. All right. Stand. This one's. A shield and a sword. Yeah. All right. I'm doing stand. I'm doing walk again.
He's got a backpack on, so she's walking. All right. So he's running. He's like, forget this walk stuff. I'm running. So the idea here is the first half of the book, the first three chapters are resting in, sitting in, uh, embracing what Christ has done for you, who Christ has made you. He's brought you from dead to alive. You've been forgiven. You've been sealed. All of these things that we've been given, sit in it, rest in it, walk in it, soak it in. And so we're going to be covering that for quite a few months. And the next part is walking in that. So now walk this way. Live that way. This is how you should be behaving. Here's what to believe. Here's how to behave. And then the last little portion in chapter 6 uh, from 10 to 23, it's talking about how so now how do we, we're walking and we're living it out. But there's this whole spiritual dimension, principalities and powers at work. And so how do we stand? And he talks about the armor of God in that passage. So, again, if you want this, these kind of things I think are helpful. Like I said, you go to a campground, they give you a map, and you can go, oh, we're here. So this way, as you're going through the book of Ephesians, you can go, oh, this is where we are. This is uh, kind of the section. Last week, specifically, we talked about uh, the first two verses, and we talked about Paul, who Paul was previously. He was a Jew among Jews. And he was a, a zealous persecutor of the church, passionately persecuting, dragging people off. We would think we think of a terrorist type person that's hauling people out of churches. That was kind of the type of guy Paul was. But then it says that God made him an apostle, an apostle specifically to the Gentiles. And so here he was, a Jew of the Jews. So God totally transformed him, recreated him for a special ministry, for something special. And then he took these Ephesians. It says to, to the saints and faithful or the, the saints and believers there in Ephesus. And we, we learned that Ephesus was a metropolitan area. It was big business. It, they weren't a bunch of flunkies out in the hills uh, living in log cabins. They were people, again, I'm not putting down all that. I, lo I love that. I, I want that lifestyle one of these days, maybe when we're retired or something. But the idea is that those, they were people like we are. They have business. They were they knew what was going on in society. They were connected. They had responsibilities. They were city folks with city lives. But the whole city was also known. It was known as a place of intense idol worship. Artemis and Diana, there was a temple there known as one of the seven wonders of the world. If you think about maybe the Louvre or something, there was all kinds of statues and different things in there that would be kind of a destination place where people would go to check this temple out and so they were steeped in darkness and evil and wickedness there and he says you saints you believers there and we read about some of the things in acts where how some of these people went from being idol worshipers to being saints called out ones and so these very people that paul's writing to in this book that we're going to be covering they're people that were worshiping idols involved in witchcraft, pagan uh, darkness, uh, forces of darkness at work in their lives. And he says, you, I'm writing to you, you transformed ones. And so as we read about what God's done and he wants them to understand who they are, he's kind of going, you know that old fingerprint you used to have? God's got rid of that old fingerprint. You have a whole new identity. You have a whole new personhood of who you are. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Now, I don't want to overwhelm you here. And I'm gonna, before I even show you this slide, 
don't get angry, okay? Promise me you're not going to get angry. I don't expect you to read this whole slide. I just want to kind of show you the flow of the verses that we're going to be covering, because we're going to be covering, not today, but over the next few weeks, verses 3 to 14. Verses 3 to 14 are one long sentence in the Greek. It's essentially a prayer of praise. It's a proclamation. Uh, some people would say it's a prayer. Some people would say it's a prayer that lasts through chapter 2. Some people I just want you to focus right now on these verses to understand what Paul's doing is he's kind of coming out of the gate going, look at what God has done, okay? We're going to cover, so this is the thing. I just want to show you some of the separations in here and some of the similarities. So in the first section that we're going to cover today, we're going to cover these today. But there's this one talks about God the Father, this first section. The next one talks about Jesus Christ. And the last section we'll, we'll cover out of these verses talks about the Holy Spirit. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at work involved in our redemption. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Each one of these sections ends with this, to the praise of the glory of his grace, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. So we have these kind of like broken up sections that are kind of like chunks. And he's saying, the work of the Father to the praise of his glory, the work of the Son to the praise of his glory, the work of the Holy Spirit to the praise of his glory. God in his personhood, the Trinity, all persons of the Trinity at work on our behalf. The first section, which we'll deal with today, in general is speaking about what has happened, what God did in the past, or what is, what was at work in the past, or relating to the past, maybe would be a better way to say it. The other would be relating to the present in the life of a believer. And the last section we'll cover relates to the future. So I just kind of wanted to show you that, because if you're, if you're looking at this whole thing, that's one long sentence, isn't it? And if you're looking at one long sentence, it's like, how do I even divide this up? How do I process this big run-on sentence, we would call it? Well, you can kind of do it like that. We're going to talk about the Father and his work on our behalf in the past, the Son, and what that means for us now, and what the Holy Spirit did, and what that means regarding our future. Does that help a little bit? It's kind of like just take a step back and get a bird's eye view. All right. Now we're going to dive into the text for today, and let me just pray once more. And we'll get into this. Father, again, we thank you for this book. We thank you for uh, this letter to the Ephesians. We thank you just in advance for the things we're going to talk about today, all the things that you've done for us. And we want to open our hearts up. I want to pray on behalf of everybody here and, uh, and on behalf of our people that we are saying we want to open our hearts up to your word and your spirit right now. And we want to give you freedom to work in us and minister as you see fit. Father, as I said, I know I can't do this passage justice, but I do know that you can put it to use in each believer here's life. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we're just going to kind of talk through these verses, and then we'll, we'll hopefully have some application there in the end. So we're going to just take it through in chunks. I'm going to come back to this in a second. But here is the first chunk, the first verse. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so if you look at that, 
uh, well, let me just read through the whole passage. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, <clears throat> to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That's a lot, right? I mean, we can just see like that. Like, what does all that mean? We're going to take it slow, and hopefully afterwards this will make a lot of sense. So if you just look at um, this first word, blessed, again, like I said, part of what Paul was doing was he was giving this exclamation. And that word blessed is basically like praiseworthy God. It's kind of like shouting out to God, going, the God who is to be spoken well of. Actually, this word is where we get our word eulogy from, how you speak well of somebody at, at their funeral. This has the idea of God who is worthy of being spoken well of or the God who is spoken well of. And then we have this other phrase here, blessed be. So in other words, praise God um, or praiseworthy God. And then here's what he says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> that can be a little bit confusing there. And it's, uh, you could begin to think, so does Jesus have a God? It says the God of Jesus Christ and Father of Jesus Christ. And so if you put all of Scripture together, we would know, and we believe here, that there is a triune God, three in one. And so you read this and you try to make sense of it. And I believe what he's doing at the beginning is helping us to see that God is God, but there are some separate roles for each person of the Godhood. So, for example, what did Jesus cry when he was uh, on the cross? My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And then he also says, Father, forgive them, for they know what they do. Know not what they do. And so the idea here is God the Father, if you want to look at it as the plan of Christ, because that's kind of what's going to happen in these 14 verses, is unfolding of God's plan for us. Past, present, future plan for us. If you look at God the Father, he's more or less the designer of that plan. He's the one who's designed that plan. If you look at Jesus Christ, he's the deliverer of that plan. And the Holy Spirit would be like the administrator, or if you wanted to say it, the delegate of that plan to make it happen in today. And that's why Jesus said, it's better that I go away and I'll send to you my helper to carry out that work. So I believe what he's saying here is, because he's going to get into the fact that we are God's children and God is our God, I think what he's saying is, God the Father is God and Father. That's his role with Jesus Christ. He's also your father, but there's a difference. Does that make sense? So we are children of God. God is our father. He's the father of Jesus, but it's not exactly the same. He's not, it's not exactly the same. We can talk more about that later, but I kind of wanted to just take some time to explain that. Again, I, I think the, the point is that He's God and Father of Jesus Christ, but in a different sense that he's our God and our Father. So he's talking about Christ. Uh, and, and so he says, God has blessed us 
with every spiritual blessing. So which spiritual blessings did he bless us with? Every or all spiritual blessings. So every spiritual blessing, what does that mean? Well, the blessings are spiritual. That would kind of show it's not necessarily physical blessings. So he's not saying, I've blessed you with a big bank account, with a huge lot of land, with perfect health. It's, he's not necessarily talking about the physical blessings right now. That was more Old Testament. But he's saying, I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Every uh, conceivable blessing that you would need for spiritual life, everything you need to be successful in a walk with God, every divine benefit that you could have, you've been given. So he says, praise God for giving us every single blessing that we could ever imagine, every spiritual thing that you need, you've been given. And when he says, who has blessed us? Who is he talking to here? Everybody in the whole world? The saints, the believers. He's saying, as saints, as believers, we have spiritual resources that's needed. Do you ever feel sometimes like you don't have what it takes to walk in holiness? You don't have what it takes to live an abundant life. You don't have what it takes to conquer sin. You don't have what it takes to live a victorious Christian life. You don't have what it takes. That's just not true. We may not have how, learned how to use all those things yet, but the fact of the matter is you can count on it. Be sure you have been given every spiritual blessing that you need. He's not waiting and doling it out little by little, like, oh, I'll give you a little forgiveness if you need it later down the road. It's been deposited in your account. That's good news. Is that a reason to praise God? Yeah, that's good news. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so, again, that's kind of the idea of it's not necessarily here in a physical realm, but in the spiritual dimension, in the spiritual realm. He talks about that a few times in Ephesians, and he talks about um, the forces even in, in heavenly places. Uh, and so what he's talking about in the spiritual world that we have been given, this group, were they aware of spiritual world, spiritual powers, spiritual blessings that might come from this God or that God, and they think, oh, if I worship this, I'm going to have the ability for that. Oh, if I say these incantations, I'll have the ability to put a spell on somebody, so-and-so. If I, They were aware of having spiritual blessings given through each of these gods that they would worship. But he's saying, no, you've been given the real spiritual blessings. The spiritual blessings... Uh, of God's realm. And so he's, he's, he says, you've been fit. He's saying, like, you've been fit for success. You've been equipped for success. <clears throat> and then I want to get into this because we're going to go over this word or phrase. We're going to see it over and over and over. In Christ, it's going to be in this passage. So he doesn't say, you've been given every spiritual blessing because you worked really hard. You've given every spiritual blessing because you finally kicked that sin habit that you've been fighting. You've been given every spiritual blessing because you finally uh, were consistent in giving. You've, <laughs> you've been given that spiritual blessing because you stopped doing this and that bad. He says you've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. What does that mean? 
We're going to hear that phrase over and over and over. It's important for us to know what it means. A couple ways you could look at it. One is by means of Christ or through Christ we've been given all those things. It wasn't on any merit of our own, any work of our own, but it was through Christ. And I think even a little better than that, I think it does mean that, but I think more full, it's being under the umbrella of Christ or being identified with Christ or with him as our representative. I'll explain that in a minute. So all those last three are kind of the same thing. So saying that now that you have been identified with Jesus Christ, everything's available to you. When God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we'll, we'll look at a verse that will talk about that in a few minutes. So the idea here is now that you are in Christ, now that Christ is your representative, now that you are, your identity is matched up with him and you become one with Christ, now that you are, on, so to speak, maybe one of these will hit more with you, under that umbrella of Jesus Christ, you have all the spiritual blessings that you need. Before you were outside of that umbrella, you did not have all the spiritual blessings that you needed. You were on your own, or you were looking to the world's or Satan's spiritual resources, but now you have been given all of heaven's resources, uh, spiritual resources that you need. Any questions about this verse so far? It's a lot there, right? So now what he's going to do, are there any questions? I said questions, then I just kind of kept going. All right. So what he's doing, again, is this is kind of like the banner over these next 14 verses or whatever it is. It's kind of the banner going, you've been given every spiritual blessing, and now he's going to go, and here's one, 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 and here's one. Make sense? And this isn't even a full list of what we've been given in Christ but it's what Paul hits here. So, we've been given, blessed with every spiritual blessing. I want to just encourage you. We're, I'm going to go through this in a kind of an academic, scholarly, book-learning kind of way, and I, but I would encourage you to let this penetrate your heart, penetrate your mind, become part of your belief system, because this is the truth that we need. Pa remember, Paul's setting them up. You want to walk with God? You want to walk out your faith? You need to know some stuff. This is one of the things you need to know. Good luck trying to walk with God if you think you don't have the resources you need to walk with God. Right? If you think your bank account's empty, and I'm telling you to go buy this and go buy that, and you're like, I don't have a bank account. And you're like, no, we deposited some money. We zelled you a bunch of money. You do have it. Then you have the confidence to go out and do that. And what he's saying there is you do have every spiritual blessing. So verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and uh, without blame or blameless before him in love. If you want to see a bullet point of this, this might help. It helps me sometimes to kind of break down what he's talking about. The point here in this verse is he chose us. He chose us in Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the world. And he chose us to be holy and blameless. I believe that the in love part of this should be in the next verse that they kind of divided that up wrong. That's my opinion. Other people have opinions as to why they think it belongs in this verse. You can go study that out. I'm going to teach what I believe this is the way this verse is going, but just know that there are some other opposing views that are wrong. Just kidding. Um, just <laughs> who said, wow? <laughs> Evie's been saying that to me all week. She's like, wow, Dad, wow. Every time I say something, wow, Dad. She probably picked it up from whoever just said that. Um, 
So he chose us. This, this is going to be tricky stuff here because the reality, I'm already looking at the clock going, uh, how? The reality is uh, this is a hugely debated topic. It's called a doctor, if you want to get into the theological term, it's called a doctrine of election. This chose us. He chose us. And it will, predestination is in the next verse, but this is election specifically. And so the idea here is that we have been chosen. The saints have been chosen. So you have all humanity and that he went and chose some for sainthood and picked out, selected, um, choosed some. He chose us, and we'll talk a little bit about this, um, before the foundation of the world. So what I want to talk about is why this is such a difficult concept for us to get. Because the scripture clearly teaches that he chose us. But it also teaches that we choose him. And so it's these two conflicting ideas in scripture that are taught. And my personal opinion is that everybody feels like they need to go all the way here or all the way there. And scripture teaches this and this. And we're like, well, it doesn't make sense. Either he chose us or we chose him. Uh, and we have to go like, if God's word says it, it's true even if it doesn't make sense. So for example, uh, so I think we have a hard time because it's too big for our brains, right? I think that's one. It's just too big of a concept for our brains. But let me give you a couple other concepts that are big for our brains that we don't, it doesn't like wrench our heart like this one does. The Trinity, which we talked about. Sometimes that can be a, a tough one. I've personally wrestled through that and, uh, it, it, and kind of gone, is it three, is it one, is it three and one, is it? So I, I feel like I've wrestled through that, that. But it doesn't feel, it's like, okay, I can just sort through it. And it doesn't have quite an emotional feel as this, he picked some, but he didn't pick others. Am, am I alone? Okay. Another one, the hypostatic union. Does anyone know what the hypostatic union is? Big fancy word. It's to basically say Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. We're like, we say that all the time. He's 100% God, he's 100% man. Can you really get a hold of that? Like, do you understand that? I don't. I believe scripture teaches it. But why the rub with he chose us, saints? Why is that so difficult? I have a couple reasons why I think it's difficult for us. One, because we hate anything that we aren't ultimately in control of. Right? If I can't make it happen, or I can't decide it, or the decision is taken out of my hands, I don't like it. I want nothing to do with it. And the other is it feels very personal and confusing. And you're like, well, why would he pick this part of my family but not that part of my family? Or why would he pick this? And, and I want to say, so it can feel like such a personal issue and I guess what I want to where I want to go with this today because we could go on and on and on and people do biblical backflips and interpret scripture in crazy ways to try and prove it's this or it's this and I just want to say I haven't figured it all out but I do know this scripture clearly teaches both for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in me not 
if the, those that were chosen believed in me, because I already told them they had to believe in me because they were pre-chosen. And then you get in this whole thing that they would call, which it's not really, um, they call it double predestination, which we might cover in the next, and that's basically that, well, if he chose some for salvation, then he chose some for hell. And that's not taught in scripture. That's going beyond the bounds of scripture. Scripture doesn't teach that. It says some were fitted for destruction and that they fit themselves for that, but he fit some for eternal life. So God fits them, they kind of fit themselves. So this can turn into this hours and hours and huge divisions and no one ever has solved this conundrum. And I believe you're not going to. Scripture clearly teaches both. I've heard it uh, said like this, and I've, I, don't, I certainly don't think this is the perfect way to put it either. It says that like if, if there was that door right there, and it said, whoever shall believe is welcome. Welcome to all who believe. Whoever shall believe, or whoever calls on the name of the Lord, or all of those on this side of the door, and you're like, Okay, I have believed. I made a choice to believe, I believe. And then you walk through that door, and it's open to all and to everybody and to whoever would. And then you get around and you look at the other side above that door, and it says, those who are called. Like, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you are a called one. If there's anybody here going, I'm not sure if I'm a called one. What if I'm not one of those that were chosen? What if it didn't include me? What I would say this. Do you want to be saved? Do you want eternal life? Do you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Are you willing to say, I'm trusting Christ for my salvation? If you have that desire and you want that, and you choose not to reject Christ, you are a called one. You are a chosen one. If you say, no, I do, I, I do not accept that. I do not believe what Jesus Christ did. I don't believe it gives eternal life. I don't believe. And you continue to, you might not, you might not know your call one, even if you're saying that today. Maybe in 2, 10, 15 years you believe that, then you were a called one. But if you continued to reject that during your time on earth, you weren't called. But if at any moment you want to put your faith and trust in Christ and you decide to do that, you can count yourself as called. Does that make sense? Not really, but kind of, huh? Can you see why this gets so confusing? Can you see why people are so passionate about this topic? And I just want to say this. Ultimately, we have to remember that God is sovereign. God's boss. God's in charge. It's God's way, not our ways. He clearly teaches that he chose us. He clearly teaches whosoever puts their faith in him will be given eternal life. Whoever. Can we reconcile those? I can't perfectly in my head, no. But we ultimately have to hand it over to God and realize that it's God, uh, God's plan. And so he chose us in him. Again, there's our, our, our phrase. And the idea, again, of in him is the idea of because we are identified with him, and you're like, well, if it was before the foundation of the world, as we're going to see how were we identified. I think God, I mean, I know God is outside of time. If you think about us maybe standing on a hillside and having a patch that we can see through the trees and there's a clear patch and we can see a train going that's how we see things. We see them happening like this. This piece, that piece, this event, that event, this. 
Imagine God is on top of all that, and he's seeing every single bit of it all at once. He's outside of time. He created time. And so he chose us in Christ, or because of our association with Christ, or because of what Christ has done, we can be chosen ones. And it says that he chose us before the foundation of the world. Again, this whole section is talking about God's plan through the ages. He says, so we chose us before the foundation of the world. And so what he's saying here is that this was part of God's plan. God had a plan for you, a plan for me, before the world was even created. Before creation, he had a plan. That's good news. And what was his plan? His plan was that some would be, that those called out ones would be holy and blameless. So what was his plan? What did he choose you for? He chose us that we be holy and without blame. Now, some people would say this is kind of an expectation. In other words, he's saying, hey, I chose you, and I want you to be holy, and I want you to be blameless. And I can see where they, some people would say that. I don't believe that's what the text is teaching. I don't believe this is an expectation. He chose you, now be holy and blameless. It's not an expectation. It's not an exhortation. It's a declaration. He chose you that you would be holy and blameless. He chose you before the foundation of the world that in due time you would be made, should be, isn't like you should, you really should be. It's that you would become holy and blameless in due time. Righteous is what he's saying. And when he says blameless there, that has the idea of what they, the same kind of term they would use for a sacrificial animal. You know how they would have to inspect it and make sure there was no blemish? That's the idea there, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Stand before God, holy and blameless. Let me just... Read 2 Corinthians 5.21, what talks about uh, us being made righteous. For he, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. In other words, he put all our sin on Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's a masochist and wants to be mean? No. Here's why. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, he chose us before the foundation of the world that in due time, we, in Jesus Christ, would become holy and righteous people. Is that good news? So here's the beginning of, the, here's the beginning of these verses. We're not going to get to the next verse. We're not going to get through that first section. <laughs> but I feel like it's too, uh, and I'm not going to skip over it. We're going to cover it next week. Uh, um, so I'm recalibrating monitor and adjust monitor and adjust so here's what we're going to do the reality is you have been given every single spiritual resource that could be made available to you you have available all the things that Satan or the world or Google 
or your therapist or whatever offers you, you've been given far exceedingly abundantly beyond that everything that you need for life and godliness, Scripture says. Every single spiritual resource has been deposited into your account. Also, you were chosen before the foundation of the world to be one of those holy and blameless ones. And so as he chose us in Christ, we have been, that's part of what we've been given is righteousness, the very righteousness of God, as it says. And so this is going to be the same application for next week that'll be this week because I didn't get beyond this, but here's our application. Probably this will be the application for a few weeks. The application is, Two words that kind of rhyme with it. Celebration and meditation. That's what I would encourage you to do this week. One, celebrate God. Right? Blessed be the God. In other words, praise God. In your own heart, in your own mind, celebrate what God has done for you. Celebrate God who has done it for you. The other part, when I say meditation, I don't mean sit there and oh, I'm not talking about that kind of meditation. What I'm talking about is rewire your brain and begin to think truth about what God's done for you and that he has declared you righteous. He has made you a spotless, no blemish person before him. And he did that. You were chosen before even the foundations of the world for that. All right, I'm going to pray one more time, and then we'll, we'll finish up with one more song. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. We don't understand it, but we open our hearts, and we want to just accept it and live in it and stand on it and be confident in it. I pray that you would, as we go through these scriptures, that you would just continue to make them more and more clear uh, what they mean and um, how to embrace them for our daily living. Father, I do also just ask that you would guard against any of this stuff being twisted up in our minds or our hearts, or as I know it can be kind of complicated. Please keep the enemy from uh, using these things to attack us. Please protect and guard our hearts, our minds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.